are so honored that you're here with us for season three. We want to share, connect, and grow the paper flower community with you. Welcome to Paper Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Paper Talk. Today's episode is sponsored by our patron, Bonnie Slipper. We appreciate your donation and we're excited to keep creating content for the paper flower community. If you are interested in supporting us, head on over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash paper talk and sign up as a patron. We would love to see you there. Hi, Jesse. Another podcast dropping today. <laughs> Hi, Quinn. I know. Well, it's always fun to chat and reflect with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. it's, you're kind of my soundboard when I have any doubts or when um, something's troubling me or whatever it might be. It's a great way to kind of talk to someone and truly understand how I'm feeling about things. Exactly. Um, but which is a great segue, actually, to talk about what we are going <laughs> to talk about today. I also want to say you're an amazing soundboard. You guys need to find your other paper flower soulmate out there because having this other person that can hear your problems and understand and relate makes such a huge difference in how you go about making your flowers, making decisions that's related to your paper flower business. And it's been really eye-opening just to hear from her perspective and trying to reflect it on how I can navigate through my own problems and situation. It's (laughs) so relieving. It's like (laughs) be able to like moan and groan and bent. I think that's the really important part and having her like understand it, you guys. (laughs) I I hope everyone has a partner like this. <laughs> uh, I know we're so lucky to have mm-hmm. each other. We talk to our husbands, but they don't truly understand, right? Yeah. Like they're third parties that don't necessarily understand the intricacies of our art and the business part as well. Mm-hmm. My husband's always like, yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. And I'm like, but that's maybe not what I want to do. So like who understands that? But your paper flower appears, right? Exactly. <laughs> but which comes down to, you know, what's been on our mind lately is with the start of this year, being able to say no to certain projects. It's the so power hard, of saying no. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard. We're several years in and we're, we still have difficulties saying no to to offers that come in or to proposals that come in. It's funny because when you're when you're new, when you're starting, you're like, oh, my God, like you're making flowers. No one's like calling me. No one's emailing me for projects. Then when the first one comes in, you're like, oh, my God, like like I can't believe that people even notice my work. Mm-hmm. I'm so flattered that they would offer to commission you know, for commission or to ask me to collaborate with them or, you know, whatever it might be. And that in itself is super exciting. Yeah. And I remember just like looking at these emails and saying, oh, my God, is this for real? And it still happens. Right. Oh, yes. Um, especially when you've got you know, a bride like, you know, that, that contacts you and they explain, oh, this is my dream wedding. And they're like, they're showing you their mood boards and, and everything. Your so photos in yeah. it. And you're like, <laughs> well, yes, she really loves my stuff. <laughs> but it's like beautiful. And you're like, oh my God, this is like my perfect client. I really need to like get a hold on her. And then there's other, you know, other clients, like big name clients you know, with big brand that you've always looked up to, or maybe not, but very big brands. They've got a lot of weight in this world and could be amazing exposure and just them asking you over, you know, other paper floors maybe um, to collaborate with them on a window display or on some sort of project for their clients. I mean, that's amazing too. But at some point, once you, you know, maybe committed a bit or responded, how do you know when it's not for you? Because as amazingly, you know, gorgeous as these images are, maybe the style isn't your Mm -hmm. style. What, exactly. you know, what your client wants, what your bride wants, or yeah. maybe your client wants you to produce like a hundred flowers and you're like, mm, I'm not sure I'm really like production work, but it's 
you know, this big name. It's this like big fashion designer. So yeah, how do you, how do you go about navigating that and trying to understanding when to say no, or is this like a great opportunity? Mm-hmm. Quinn, what are your thoughts? My thoughts is understanding your branding is really important. Knowing what kind of clients that you want to attract, what kind of projects that you do want to do. I think that is really important. I mean, definitely at the beginning of your journey, you're going to accept any project that comes along because you need that income to build and get your portfolio going. The really important thing is you need to try all at the beginning of journey. But once you start clicking with certain clients and clicking with certain bouquets or flowers or project and it brings you joy, you need to bring that into your life even more and start doing less of the things that doesn't make you happy. Because really, we're so lucky and fortunate in our job that we create paper flowers and we love what we do. I mean, you talk to any paper florist, you know, and they talk about paper flowers, their eyes light up, their hearts light up, you can hear it in their voice, you can see it in their eyes, and they get really animated and very happy. I think that's really important. I mean, one of the reasons why we go through this route is because we do have that enamored love with paper flowers and that we need to be able to spark that joy every single time because you don't want to diminish that spark. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be able to continue on and do what you love. I mean, look at us. We've been doing this for over six years now. And you know what? I still find joy. And I think it's because both of us have curated our projects to be able to find the projects that we really love. We love talking to our clients. We love making the paper flowers. Maybe it might be tedious, but you know what? Sometimes I personally like it. I love huge production works and I love doing hundreds of pieces over and over. I find joy in that. Jessie, on the other hand, she really loves those one of a kind, beautiful pieces. And the thing is she evolves and her flowers looks different from year to year because she's constantly educating herself, spinning it and saying, oh, I can improve this. I can improve that. I also do the same, but it's different because when you're doing mass production, you guys, there's no room to improve because you have to balance how fast you can do it, the materials, and you have to make it economical because when you're doing large projects, the people on the other end, they might not be able to pay for that beautiful one single piece, multiply that by a hundred. There's no possible way that they can afford it. So you have to not dumb it down, but make it more simplified. So it's more economical for you to make, but also the end result looks amazing and beautiful. So those are the balance that you have to think about and weigh through as you create these projects. And you have to think about, am I continuing in the crepe paper? Do I need to add other mixed medium? Do I do watercolor paper? Do I do cardstock? I think those are important factors to configure on how do you say no to these projects? Because you might you know, come across these really amazing clients that says, I really love cardstock, but what do you do? You're doing crepe paper. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, let me try because is that I have personal experience. Yes, personal <laughs> experience. I'm totally speaking that. And the thing is, you know, I don't mind mixing things up, but it's hard when my certain style is a certain way and they want something else. I can try, I can really, really try, but if I'm not doing it on a regular basis and I don't have time to like make it happen, it's going to be hard to win that client over and also to win you over because you need to have that spark, that joy to make paper flowers, to make it look amazing. And you want to continue on. You don't want to look back at your previous project and say, oh my God, why did I accept that job when it doesn't even fit my brand? I can't even post anywhere because I sure. don't want to accept more jobs like that. I think that's a great indicator mm-hmm. too. It's like yeah. when you think, okay, after I finish this project and I take pictures of it, am I proud enough to post it and share mm-hmm. it with people? Yeah. I think that's a great indicator. Does it look like my flowers when I put it in my feed? Does it look like my, like it's mine? Does it fit? Yeah. I'm not saying that because 
because it doesn't look like it fits, you shouldn't do it. That's not it. But I think it is a factor to consider because it's one of the things that kind of may lead you astray or maybe not. Maybe it's a, you would do it and you love it. Who knows? But I think inside you kind of have an idea mm-hmm. when somebody proposes something and you're like, ooh, I'm not sure that's really me. And then you kind of forge on and then you continue doing it. And like, you kind of got to stick with it at some point. You can't say no anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you just deal with it. You know, you end up dealing yeah. with it and like cheating it as a lesson that, okay, if there's any other clients that approach me to do this type of work that's similar mm-hmm. at that point, I know that, okay, maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's easier. It might be easier at that point to say no right away. In the past, I had a lot of event coordinators approach me for a lot of production work for, you know, these big galas and stuff. And I knew right off the bat, it wasn't for me. One, because they wanted everything to look the same. And so I kind of knew like, oh, that it wasn't really interesting to me. That said, one of the projects was like supposed to be a really big one in Montreal. And (laughs) anything that's like local, more local, I'm like so interested just because it's local, right? Yeah, exactly. And I remember them sending me the image of somebody, I don't know who did it, but somebody made a template of it. And I was like, oh no, like I can't, that's just not something I can do because it's really not my style. One, it's cardstock and it was sprayed or something like that. And then they wanted like 400 of them within a certain period of time. And this was earlier on in my journey though. So it wasn't like, like I had an idea of where I wanted to go, but I was still kind of open to other possibilities because you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. And then I ended up passing that off to one of our paper flower friends, Mm -hmm. one of our peers, because she knew exactly what to do when I told her. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Yeah. So I ended up just referring that project to her because I thought like one, it would take me more time to figure out how to do this Mm -hmm. and two, figure out how to do this, like mass produce it by myself. And it just didn't seem like if I moved forward, it would be the type of exposure that would suit my brand or suit the type of work I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But it took a little bit of time because I did talk to the event coordinator. We did go through a little bit of it before I could tell her, okay, no, it's not me. It was like where it was still acceptable (laughs) for me to be like, wait, hold up. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. I think that's a good question. So I want to put it out to our listeners is think about how far can you go along talking back and forth before you can actually say, no, it's not a good fit. Where along the process, even after you've got well, if you sign a contract, different story, but um, <laughs> yep. you got to make but it like happen. But like in the, the, the discovery, discovery phase, yeah. so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's hard too, because a lot of like the commercial ones, they're like, the deadlines are so short. So short. Reach out to you a month out, but like just the discovery phase is like two weeks mm-hmm. and I want you to send samples and stuff too. Yes, exactly. Sure get, if you can, make sure you get paid for it. Yep. I know a lot of them won't pay you. And that's up to you to decide whether or not you want to do it. But there are ones that will pay you for examples. Yes. But like the time frame is so short that you're kind of like, you feel a little bit of pressure. Yes. <laughs> I think that kind of puts you in pressure to say like, yes or no right away. And mm-hmm. sometimes like, if you're not quite sure, you don't want the opportunity to kind of slip away. You kind of engage a little bit more and you're kind of on the on the side of yes, even though you might, it might not be totally your thing. So, so that's, true. That's a toughie. But the other thing I wanted to say was that sometimes, I, like I've heard people say, oh, you'll know if like, you'll know it's not the right project if your gut says it's not. And I think that's totally true. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be careful of what your gut is actually saying. If it's fear, that's not necessarily the case. I actually, yeah. a lot of times when I kind of, my heart kind of skips a beat and I'm like, ooh, I'm a little bit nervous about it. Those are opportunity. Look at those as opportunities. Because a exactly. lot of times your gut is not telling you that you can't do it. Your gut is saying, 
oh, wow, this is a challenge. And those are the challenges that often have pushed me to be more creative. Oh, yes. And kind of it's one of those like moments in your paper flower journey or whatever journey you're on, your creative journey, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that really pushed me to another level. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm a great believer in listening to your to my gut and to that little voice in my head. But I think you also have to reflect on what is that gut saying? Is it mm-hmm. the, is saying like, oh, totally no, like, oh, not interested? Or is it saying, oh, this is this could be really interesting, but I'm scared, yeah. you know? I'm scared of the opportunity. So, so true. (laughs) Yeah. Because you never know. I mean, you you get these projects and you're like, my God, I never made this before. But Mm -hmm. you feel that challenge that rise Mm -hmm. up and you're like, oh, you know what? I I think I got it. And you try and you experiment. And maybe your experimentation takes a little bit longer, but in your gut, you know, this is the right path. Go Mm -hmm. for it, you guys. Yeah. And and honestly, there's also (laughs) like people who approach you who are a little bit shady where you're like, ooh, like you're not quite sure exactly where they're at in terms of timeline or what Mm -hmm. they pay you. There are some people who are amazing at just like laying it out. They're like, I don't worry, you're going to be compensated and, you know, whatever the timeline is and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, those are like amazing clients, but then some of them are, some clients are a bit shady. So you kind of have to use your gut to yeah. kind of figure that out and be like, Ew, is and this- don't be afraid to ask questions. I think the yeah. more questions that you are prepared to ask them, they'll know right off the bat that they're dealing with a professional. But the thing is, you won't know these questions until you start getting these jobs. And then you start like, oh, these are the questions that I need to ask. Mm-hmm. Those Those are the ones that you need to be keeping notes on and keeping a journal saying, oh, make sure next time when I talk to another client, these are the questions I need to ask. These are the things I need to point out to them so that it will make my job easier and make sure that what they want and what I want is a good fit for each other. And it's so interesting. I was listening to Clubhouse, Holly, and this amazing business guy, his name is Sean Lowe. And he was talking about how do you develop your story brand? So you're the one that puts it out there and the right clients, they see you, hear you and find you. And they are the perfect fit because Mm -hmm. they clicked when they saw your profile, your website, your Instagram, whatever stories that you're putting out there, they can relate to it. And the more people can relate to who you are, because in reality, you guys, there's so many paper floors out there. They're just trying to find someone that they magically click. It's almost like dating in a certain way. <laughs> and, and you want that too. You want to be able to find that other person that you're like, oh yeah, we have so much in common. We're just going to make this happen. And you feel joy when you talk to this other client. And so the power of saying no can easily be turned into a yes. Yeah. And I would would say like, sometimes you take those commissions because you're like, well, I have nothing going on right now. Yes. Even though, you know, it's not really for you, but you're like, you know what, I'll take it anymore anyways. And it might be because you need the money, which totally understand why, you know, you mm-hmm. might take it. But sometimes like when you say those no's, the next project that comes up is a yes. And sometimes those no's could take over the time that you have to say yes to projects that you really want to work on. I think it is really powerful saying no. It's like taking control of your life. Yeah. It's taking control of you're not feeling resentful that you're working on something when mm-hmm. you could have been working on something even cooler and something you actually really want to do. And also like, like you said, no makes you in control of your story, right? Mm-hmm. Of a lot of the work that we do, people don't see in person, like images of them are so important. So make sure you guys take imi- like beautiful images of the flowers that you send off. So if you don't want to share the stuff that you've done with, with your followers or with your friends or family, then I think that says a lot about maybe that project wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you should be like sharing it everywhere. And like the more you share of the projects that you'd like to do, the more that people are going to define you by those projects. Exactly. And people 
will look for you to make those projects because they know that you love doing them and you do them really well. And, and you maybe stand out Mm -hmm. compared to everyone else, because that's what people are looking for. That specific niche that you have, whatever it might be or style, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Such an important tip. It takes time. You know, and I still, yeah, I still struggle with it. And my husband, like I said, it was my husband. My husband still gets like all like, whoa, by whoever the client is sometimes. But then like you have to sit on it and you just really think about it. Like, does this work for me? Yeah, it's amazing that it's going to be there. But is it really meaningful to myself Mm -hmm. as an artist creating it? Is that what I want to do? And what you want to do is going to be different from someone else. Oh, and if you know somebody who wants to do that, but do whatever that commission is, but you don't want to, like, go ahead and reach out to them and ask them. Be like, hey, are you up for this? Which I've done in the past. And I get a little more insight into one, into what Mm -hmm. my peers is doing, but also you become friends with these people that you refer work to. It's just nice. On the other end, also think about the client. If you're able to match them with the right person, yeah, they're going to remember you for that other mm-hmm. project because they reach out to you in the first place because they were attracted by what you were doing. And so they'll keep you in mind for future projects. If your relationship with them is mutual and good standing, I think that's so important in creating these relationships, even though projects doesn't work. You never know what else will come down the pipeline in the future. Yeah, so true. Especially if now that they know you better, you know, mm-hmm. they know that, oh, maybe this type of work isn't what you like to do. And you talk to them about what you do like to do. And so, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like the next time they have a project in mind that's similar to what you've talked to them about that you want to do, you'll be on the top of the list for them to reach out. Yeah. And then you never know where the opportunity goes. Exactly. Yeah. You guys let us know some of the opportunities that you've came across that you said no to. It'll be so interesting to hear your journey. How did you guys know it was, it should be a no? I think- oh. Oh, that would be, I know it, it's tough. Okay, it it's was every like, actually on this one particular project, my husband says, are you sure you want to do this? It doesn't <laughs> look like your flowers. <laughs> and that was a huge flag for me. I was like, you're right. And it just realized when he said that it was like, oh yeah. And it just really made me stop. It's like, I know I'm not going to share this in my feed because it's not the style that I want to progress toward. So yeah, mm-hmm. that was a huge flag for me. <laughs> How about you? What was your moment that you knew like your gut said no? Uh, Usually when I'm on the phone with them and we have a talk, I do like, like for big projects like this, I do like talking to somebody on the phone because you get a sense of, it's easier, first of all, talking back and forth, but you also Mm -hmm. get a sense of that person too. And whether or not, you know, you're on the same, same wavelength in terms of your art. I'm very protective of my art. So, and, but you know that because I'm a, I'm a five, right? (laughs) (laughs) Enneagrams, you guys. Enneagrams here. Which we'll talk about in another podcast. It's really interesting. I get very protective of my work. So when I talk to someone and I sense that they don't know my work, they don't really know it. They don't really know the value of it. It is hard for me to work with them because once you've worked with people who do know the value of your work, you know what's out there. Like, you know, the type of collaborations that are out there that are possible, that are amazing. So the ones where I feel maybe this isn't me is, well, one, when they're asking me to do production work, because then they know, like, they clearly don't know what I do. But it's hard sometimes when Mm -hmm. it's like a project that kind of pulls you and that's like all inclusive where they have a vision and you're attracted to the vision that they have. It can be really hard with the recent project that I was in in August. I felt terrible actually saying no after we had talked about it, after I had actually, you know, canvassed with some of our other local artists to work together on this project. Um, It was for a big company. It was going to be in their headquarters. Uh, We were going to have another artist involved as well to kind of put everything together. And this is the project that my husband was like, yeah, you have to like they're they're like they're a huge company like you know but 
but then like after well I had some issues with my son going getting yes, <laughs> in I the ER that. like he yes. yeah so like for in the summer he was in the ER for I think four times he was he, oh four gosh. times in six weeks he went to the ER because we so were trying scary. new foods it was it was so scary the last two times was so scary the last two times we gave him EpiPen the last time that we were in the hospital I stayed overnight with him because they wanted to monitor him and at, during that night I was like I can't do this like I have to tell yeah. them that I'm not available like my family has to come first my mm-hmm. son has to come first yeah and I can't wait on them like because it it's when you work with a big company they hire you know a, a pro- project team and then it takes time <laughs> Things yes. took time to like process and everything was organized. It was amazing, but it was still taking them time to organize. So I was like, you know what? We're not at the point where we've committed fully. I've had a talk with them. We've already like canvassed other artists, but we were still waiting to hear back from the, the artist that was putting everything together. I think it's okay at this point to tell them, look, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. It's enough time for them to find someone else if they really wanted to do it. And no contract had been signed yet. So That's the most important but part, it was at a point. Yeah, yeah. It was at a point though where it was like okay we're on like we're practically there like uh-huh. we just need to confirm that it works with paper and then we're like we're going but yeah luckily it wasn't and luckily it was at that point where I was like you know I need to prioritize other things in my life mm-hmm. other than just having this exposure with this big company Can so we go back to contracts real quick yeah so let's say if I know a lot of wedding professional do this where if something happens to them they have it in their contract they have the right to find a replacement of equal quality and have them finish the job without the say of the original contractor per se. Mm -hmm. Is that something you would recommend for you to put in the contract just in case something like that comes along? Because you never know. You might get really sick. You might have family emergency and you're not able to finish it, but you don't want to break the contract because you already signed it and you already got paid for it or in the process of getting paid for it. Is that something you would recommend? I think that is a really great idea. Some sort of out clause. (laughs) Really, especially I mean, if you think about it, last year was such a big mm-hmm. year where nobody really had any experience with these types of cancellations. I mean, imagine you got sick because you got COVID, right? Yeah. Which is possible, very, very possible. How would that come into play in a contract where there is no clause for either a replacement or for some sort of compensation? But the funny thing is the venue or the events coordinator, they always have an out clause. They can cancel at any time. They've, they're the ones who are handing you the contract contract, right? So, but... But I would say just because they have a contract, it doesn't mean that you can't negotiate it, right? It doesn't mean that you can't ask for it. And yeah, why not, you know, ask for it. And I I mean, I assume that they wouldn't have a problem, especially if it is big contract work where a lot of it is production. If it's particular because it's for you specifically, you have even more unique skills, then I think that's a little bit more difficult for them to be like, okay, that's fine. Just find a replacement. And I think that's, but unfortunately, I think that's the risk in, our business, which is why you might have some sort of business insurance and business insurance comes in different forms. So one of them is liability insurance, which may cover any kind of what they do, essentially liability insurances. If somebody sues you, then your insurance company can hire a lawyer. Either they have a lawyer or you can hire a lawyer. I'm pretty sure they will have a lawyer. They won't just have you hire anyone, but they'll have a lawyer to represent you in court. And your liability insurance may have a certain amount that would could be paid out in damages 
if you are found to be responsible mm-hmm. for the breaching contract. So for you, let's say not finishing the work. Yeah. So that is helpful. I, I would recommend it if you're like doing a work that is of great value. So where you're getting paid a lot, where you know that you can't pay out of pocket. So for example, let's say you're doing a bouquet or something and you aren't able to deliver. Obviously the damages would be the bouquet. But what about the wedding itself, right? Yes. It's connected. So the bride could sue you technically for you, not just not just for the breach of contract of not providing her the bouquet, but damages related to her wedding being ruined because she didn't have a beautiful bouquet. So that could be where the insurance comes from. So I would say if you knock on wood, if you're healthy, if you've got tons of time, lead time, then generally, you know, it's not, it's not really a risk. But if you have poor health in general, or if you know that you're super busy with other projects as well, then, you know, it could be a possibility that for some reason, out of your control, you can't, you can't deliver. But I think the big commercial contracts are more important to look at in terms Mm -hmm. of the the details of that. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. But yeah, well, that other thing too, I mean, like if you're working with a big company and they're like, oh, you know, we're just going to do a handshake, you might want to, you might want to rethink that because they are a big company. They should have their ducks in a row. They should have legal documents for you to sign because it's not just about your obligation. It's theirs too, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of these commercial companies or these bigger companies don't pay you up front. Yeah. give you a deposit. How so you want to make sure that you paid. Can you use email transactions for the documentation for a contract? You you can, yes. But in order for that to be used, it would be as used as evidence in court mm-hmm. or maybe evidence in, let's say, negotiation. But negotiation, usually you would have a lawyer involved. So, I mean, if anything bad, quote unquote bad, was to happen, you can use it as evidence. It's just unfortunate because it just shows intention. But if you have a contract that actually clearly states and stipulates your obligations and their obligations, and there's a clear violation of one of them, then it's a lot easier to argue that, look, you've reached the contract. When there's no contract, it's a little bit harder. There is is, contractual law doesn't need to be on a piece of paper necessarily. And obviously if you've done something and you haven't gotten paid, but there's an agreement to be paid, there's a breach there, Mm -hmm. but it's more complicated, right? And that's the only thing. Yeah, and invoices are not, invoices are not contracts either. So, which is another reason why you should get paid first. I'm so grateful that you're a co-host for this podcast. I feel like I'm getting free legal advice. (laughs) Information. Information, It's broad broad in terms of contractual law. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every, I'm sure every state is different. They've got something a little bit different, but I mean, generally the overall idea in common law is, you know, if there's consideration, so if something's given for something else, then Mm -hmm. it's a contract and it can be, you know, it could be evidence, whatever's Mm -hmm. in writing. Yeah. Boy, this podcast went serious, you guys. I know. <laughs> we weren't talking about that before. <laughs> right? We were just talking about to say no. If like somebody is like a little bit, you're not quite sure about them and they're not yeah. willing to commit to anything in writing, then probably no. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, if it's your friend, that's, it could be different. But we're just talking about like opportunities that come from, from clients that mm-hmm. you don't know, I suppose, like clients you don't know that want to even hire you just even for a flower. Yeah, you need to protect yourself. Bottom line, it's your business, your baby, and you need to protect yourself and to make sure that, you know, what you're doing, you don't want to be burnt from it, which is like the most painful thing ever. Yeah. 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 And like, that's a thing. Like you don't, you never think something bad will happen. Mm -hmm. And then when it does, you're like, shoot. 
you know, I, I thought about it, but I didn't do anything about it. And but lesson learned, you guys don't make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Power of saying no is you control your destiny. <laughs> exactly. It's so important and recognizing it, I think. But you won't recognize it unless you go through it. And I so know. that's the It does take experience. It does. It does. Yep. You do do some crappy stuff that you're like, oh, no one's going to see. Like, no, these images are never going to see a light of day. <laughs> But like, it's like, it's a journey, right? You learn about yourself yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. Things that you think you want to do or that are, oh, cool. Someone else is doing it in like mm-hmm. great exposure. And then you do it and you're like, oh, it's not for me. And you wouldn't yeah. know until you did it. Exactly. You always think it's an opportunity that you never had until you take it and then you try it. Yeah. So yeah, that too. The power of saying no is amazing if you know yeah. when to say no, but it takes time to know when to say yeah, no. Exactly. And we both still have problems saying yes. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> we still do, you guys. It's always the balance, the juggle of like what's on our workload, what's in our family life. And it's just, it's a balance of, you know, give and take and trying to figure out what you want to do next. And does it fit what you want to do in your future? Yeah. Will it grow your business? Will it grow you as an artist? Yeah. Those are the questions you need to ask yourself. Yeah, for sure. But talking about questions, let's Mm -hmm. start with what's your favorite drink right now, (laughs) (laughs) Justin? My favorite drink. Oh, you're gonna be like, ew, it's um <laughs> so I love I love milk tea, right? So it's one of those things. I mean, if you guys don't know what milk tea is, essentially it's you know, bubble tea. <laughs> bubble tea without the bubbles. And I like my milk tea warm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, my favorite, the chat time one. Yes. So chat time has its own like literally they're not powder, so they're like tea bags. And the, in the tea bags, it comes with some of the syrup and the sweetness that comes with it. But it's actually really great quality, but they've been like sold out throughout the pandemic. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I have not been able to find the roasted one, which is my favorite. I don't want the slept one. It's okay too. So it's been sold out. So now I'm back on like powdered milk tea. And <laughs> not <the same. laughs> it's not the same at all. First of all, it's completely like bad for you. I don't even know what's in it. Like I can't pronounce sugar. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I can't pronounce like most of the ingredients in it. <laughs> It's like powder and then I just add like water and I imagine that's my real tea. Sometimes yes. I might stick a tea, like actual tea bag in there, but it's yeah. not the same. But like, I imagine it. Do you know the Japanese one? I think it's called Royal Tea. It's a blue and white box. That's, yes, I think I've seen it. It's kind of expensive, but it's, it is actually really good. So I've tried a lot of different ones. So the one I'm using, I'm trying, I have right now is the Lipton one. And the Lipton one, we use it because it's the one that we use like in Hong Kong. And a lot of people have said like that tastes pretty good. And I was like, it's not bad. But there's a lot of there's a lot of other options out there. So, mm-hmm. but you kind of try them, and a lot, they, you, you buy them in a bag, right? The bag's yeah. like fifty of them. So you have to try it and go through it. But I have to yeah. say, something warm is like I need something warm. It really yeah. like it's like my what do you call it? It's like the comfort zone, right? It's mm-hmm. like you get into that comfort zone, and exactly. that's what it is. Yeah. But yeah, what about you, Quinn? What are you drinking? I've been well. I'm still drinking coffee, but I've been actually putting an orange peel in it. So it's almost Ooh. like orange coffee flavored. Cool. Um, without the orange juice, I guess. <laughs> but it's does really, it, it smells it like an orange. Through, it like does. The bitterness? It does. It balances it out. And I always add a little bit of coconut creamer in there. And it's just really creamy. And there's a hint of cool. like orange zest to it that just kind of wakes yeah, me up. Yeah, that probably <laughs> would wake you up. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I that- love it. That sounds fresh. Mm-hmm. Like not, said, it doesn't have the orange flavor, but the aroma. I think that's what really, I really like about that. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. oh, 
I like that. What are you watching? Uh, okay. Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know if you know this about me. One of my favorite movies is The Silence of the Lamb. I love the series, the Hannibal Lecter series. You do? So, oh my I do. God. You know, my husband was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Should I be careful with the knife around you? Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so they just came out with this new TV series called Clarice. So it's about the story of Clarice after the very first episode of Science of the Lamb. What happens to her when she finished her behavioral science education and how she's able to progress as a student to the person she is, as you know her from Hannibal. Oh, interesting. So kind of her backstory. Yes. And I love who they cast her with. She has an incredible Southern accent. It's dark, it's creepy, but the storyline's good. I've only seen the first episode. I'm just hoping it'll just continue and get better and better. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That sounds really intriguing. Sounds yes. really, it seems like you can get sucked in. Yes. Real good. <laughs> How about you, Jesse? <laughs> oh, I've been like watching a couple of things. So because there's four people in the house. <laughs> Are you going to tell me a cartoon? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, obviously my son loves Paw Patrol, but no, I can't sit through that with him. Um, so we've been trying to find something that's a little bit more child. He gets scared of a lot of things. He's yeah. very gullible. He's like a very cool. innocent child. So even watching something with like even slight like scariness, like let's say we were watching Never Ending Story, like he could not yeah. watch that, could not go through, get through that or anything with skeletons or anything with like bugs. Like, I don't know. I guess he's just that age where he has a this imagination and he thinks like, it's it's going to get me. So he did enjoy Jumanji. Uh-huh. So the new one, the Jumanji, what is it? The Next Level and the Jumanji. The one with uh, The Rock? Yeah. Oh, so I love that movie. It's so good. So we watched both of them. They're so hilarious. I don't they know. Are. I was like laughing at the first one. And then the second one was pretty funny too. Like it's, it was really interesting concept, but it's like more child appropriate in the sense that there's not, it's not scary. Really. Yeah. There's nothing scary about it. But there's many like personalities Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of reference to like pop culture, which my son completely does not get. But it's an adventure movie. Yeah. So he he actually wanted to watch it again. And I was like, oh, maybe later. But so I watched that with him. My husband Uh went to elementary. So elementary has so many seasons. (laughs) So we watched that like before we go to sleep. And then I've also been trying to work through some PBS. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So right now I'm on Cold Dark, but some scenes are not appropriate for kids. So then like I pause it. It's usually like unpaused until I'm on my next paper flower project. Then I can kind of watch it. Yeah. So we've got like a couple things going because we got to share the time. (laughs) I can't just hide out and be like, hey, you watch that. I'm going to watch watch something else. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I do have a recommendation. So if you guys are into K-drama, which is Korean dramas, there's one called Mr. Queen. It is so funny. So it's about <laughs> this chef who actually was a chef at the equivalent of a White House in Korea. They call it the Blue House. Anyway, he's a chef there and somehow he gets transported back in time <laughs> and drops into a body of a female. So he's a body of a man <laughs> and it's hilarious. And they just do such a fun and it's it's humorous, but there's a love story and it's really funny. <laughs> I gotta look that up. <laughs> and then he brings like modern age cooking back in time, like ramen. It is so funny. <laughs> and I think the funniest part is he has to like bring favor to the Dallinger with King's mom. Anyway, she does facial masks. Like the first of its kind. It is so funny, you guys. <laughs> I don't know if you changed history, but it's hilarious. <laughs> 
the technical part it doesn't matter exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just an yeah oh my gosh so funny you right, guys thank you so much for joining us i hope you found this episode helpful if you guys have any questions please dm us we are here to answer any questions and if you're going through some particular journey and you want to share it with our listeners let us know we want to share your stories and mm-hmm. bring more light into the paper flower community we love you guys so yeah have a thanks. good one you guys yeah thanks for listening We'll see you next week. If you're looking for a way to support us, please hit subscribe and write us a review. We would appreciate it so much. You can also support us as a patron on patreon.com. Your contribution would help us continue to create great content for you and the paper flower community.